The uh, reading from the New Testament this morning is taken from the Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Today we look at the office of deacon. And Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6. Now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we are coming, this is our last sermon on the offices in Christ Church. We, uh, one of the things we're doing in the men's studies, we're reading a book and it shows the consistency, the consistency between the Old and the New Testament. And that's one of the things that I like about uh, going through our study in these past weeks about officers. We've seen that the office of ruling elder grows out of the elders that were present in the Old Testament. It's nothing new. There's this cons- there's this consistency, there's this continuity between the Old and the New Testament. We see elders in the Old Testament who rule. We see that established. 
we see an official ecclesiastical office coming into existence in uh, Exodus chapter 18. And then we also notice that the minister or the pastor teacher in the New Testament isn't something that comes, you know, poof that is there in the New Testament, but it grows out of the uh, priesthood of the tribe of Levi. God called the tribe of Levi to be the ministers of word and sacrament. So as we moved in the New Testament, we find that 1 Timothy 5.17 tells us there's elders who rule and there's elders who rule as well as preach and teach. Now, we see this wonderful consistency from Old to New Testament. And if you, we pulled out our book of church order in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, we would find that we would see ruling elders is one office. They rule. Then there's a minister who rules along with the ruling elders, and he preaches and teaches. And then we would find the office, the next office, which is the office of the deacon. So the question is, where do they come from? Are they in the Old Testament? <laughs> so the first, the first point today is going to be, when did the office of deacon begin? The second point is going to be, who is the pattern for diaconal ministry? And the third point is, what is the extent of diaconal ministry? When did this office of deacon begin? Now, I think it's important for you to know that in, in one way or however you want to look at it, um, diaconal ministry has sort of always been going on with me. There's always people who've been meeting other people's needs in the family of God. That's diaconal ministry. But where did it begin officially? Where did that happen? Well, you know, in Acts chapter 2, we see the Jerusalem church is formed. Peter stands up, he preaches, 3,000 people are brought into the kingdom of God in that one day, and so all this baptizing taking place, and all these things are taking place, and so the, the number of the Christians, the, the church is growing, disciples are increasing, and we studied our, our, our third Sunday afternoons of the month, we've been looking at the apostles' doctrine, and wherever the apostles' doctrine is being devotion to that uh, doctrine, the, the word of God, we find fellowship. We find people are participating in the uh, sacraments, and we find people participating in prayer. And then we also saw in our study not too long ago, a few weeks back, we saw that there was this financial fellowship. There was this giving, and there was this receiving, and there were guys like, we, we talked about Barnabas, remember? Joseph, that uh, man of Cyprian birth, who went out and sold a piece of property and brought the money, and he laid it at whose feet? It's important. He laid it at the apostles' feet. And so here's these apostles who have all this money at their feet, and they're doing all this distribution, and there's this distribution of food. And so there's all this diaconal work that's going on already. It's already going on. Now, a problem occurred, though. And the problem uh, probably is understandable because you have a church that's growing and there's these people who have needs. Uh, there's Hellenistic Jews and there's Hebraic Jews. There's Hellenized Jews, which means they probably only speak Greek and they probably have, uh, they, they, they go to churches where the Septuagint is read because they're Hellenized. They're it had been heavily influenced by the Greek culture. And then there's other Jews who are in uh, Jerusalem who are Hebraic. Our text calls them Hebraic Jews. 
And so these Jews are probably more than likely speaking only Aramaic, and they read the Old Testament from the Hebrew. And so before these, these groups of folks became Christians, they had differences. They had rivalries. They had issues with each other. Um, you know, there would be these distinctions, and people would divide over these distinctions. Well, you're a Jew who speaks Greek, and you don't know Aramaic, and you don't read your Bible from the, from the Hebrew Old Testament, from the Hebrew, so y'all are not like us. And there's these distinctions that break out. But now everybody's come to faith in Christ, and now they're expected to overcome these things. Now, some people have suggested that the rivalries here brought about the problem that we're looking at. <laughs> you know, I, I can't get over sometimes when I've gone out with Mr. Harris, and we go out, and we, we have every now and then somebody will come to the door, and they will try to communicate with us. And English is obviously not, necess- not their second language yet. Okay? And so they come out, and they try to talk to us, and we, we uh, give them maybe something... And they're trying to look at it, and they're trying to te- they're trying to read it, and we're helping them read it, and we try to tell them what we're doing, and we're you know they're trying to tell us how, whether they're getting it or not, and it, by the end of it, it's like we're playing charades. I mean, I don't, I just don't know if I'm getting anything across. Well, this is the kind of thing that's going on, and these people are trying to work things out. Now, some people think it's because of rivalries, but I don't think that's the problem here. I think the problem's distribution. The text doesn't tell us they're having a, a complaint about distinctions. They're not telling, it's not telling us that they're having issues with each other. The issue is that there's Greek-speaking Jews and their widows have been overlooked at the serving of the tables. And the apostles are, are all of a sudden seeing their priorities. They're overwhelmed. Think about what the apostles are doing. They are supposed to be praying. They're supposed to be preaching. And now they have all this money at their feet and they're having to distribute all and make sure that people's needs are being met and they're also out there serving tables. And so this is an issue. People are not, their needs are not being met, especially the Greek-speaking Jews, who are probably fewer of them, and there's probably fewer people to minister to them. And so the apostles have to come up with a plan, and the plan is a recommendation to take care of this need. And so we see them come up with a plan. They are not able to minister. They are not able to pray as they ought. And so they come up with this plan. They say, it is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. And you all remember that? When I read that, I think to myself, in the, in the uh, Genesis 1 and 2, God says, He created, He spoke light into existence and said, it's good. It is good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then he said this, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. And so God makes from a rib a woman and brings the woman to the man. And these guys are saying, it's not good for us to do this alone. (laughs) We need some helpers. We need some corresponding members to come along and to help us. It's not desirable for us to do all of this and neglect the word of God. So they come up with this recommendation. It's very much like what Jethro gave to Moses in Exodus 18. They Remember Jethro tells Moses, you're just working too much. 
And so what I want you to do is choose some men, some wise men, some smart men, some, some godly men, some men who won't take bribes, and I want you to give them a certain amount of the work, and I want you to take a certain amount of the work. Let them do the minor things. You can do the major things, and all the division of the labor will be divided. And that's what these men say. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, they're speaking to the congregation, select from among you, select from among the assembly, uh, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. The apostles didn't do this for the congregation. The congregation was to do this themselves. They were to select seven men, and they were to select those men who had good character. We'll talk about that in a minute. Obviously, we've said before, and I think it's really interesting, not everything that um, the Scriptures don't tell us everything that people do. We're not told how they chose their elders. We just know they did it. And I'm sh almost certain that the way they chose the elders earlier in Acts is exactly the same way they're going to choose these seven men as the apostles are now recommending that they do. They're told to choose seven men. Why was the number seven important? We talked about numbers yesterday in the men's Bible study. Sometimes they are. This number seven means fullness. Now, is seven the right amount of number for this group of people? Obviously it was. But it's a number that represents the need, that, that meets the need at the moment. There are to be seven men, and they're to be men of particular character. They're to have good reputations. They're to be full of the Spirit, and they're to be full of wisdom. Now, we can go to 1 Timothy 3, and we can go to Titus 1, and fill in more details about these men. But this is broad and general here, good reputation. Men of high character who are noticeably influenced by the Spirit and full of wisdom. So the congregation implements the plan. In verse 5, it says, The congregation chose Stephen. Congregation chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. Now, these men obviously fit the bill, okay? And three of these men deserve a little bit more attention, just for a moment. First, Stephen. We're told he's full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. In fact, later on, he gets into an argument over the temple and the Torah, and his wisdom is so powerful that they can't cope with it. In fact, I think we've talked about this before. I think this is the wisdom that drove Saul of Tarsus to envy and coveting and brought him. This was a step towards Christ. The Bible tells us that when Stephen was speaking, that he, he had the face of an angel. And the men couldn't cope with it. And he was martyred for his stand for Jesus Christ. So here's Stephen. There's number two. There's Philip. Philip is an evangelist to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And so he goes and he preaches and people come to Christ. And people are being baptized. And later on the Holy Spirit whisks him away. And he's now with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he preaches Christ to him from Isaiah 53. We don't know anything about Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas. But the third man that deserves a little bit of attention is Nicholas of Antioch. He's a Gentile convert. He became a Jew, he be, he became a, a, Jew a person who cut, fit right in with the Jews, and then he became a Christian. Why does Nicholas 
Why is his name put at the end of the list? Does Luke know already that tradition tells us that he was an apostate? We're going to talk more about Nicholas later. But for now, we have seven men who fit the bill. They're Hellenists. They speak Greek. They're able to meet the needs of the women who are not being served at the tables. This is, is, is perfect, a perfect fit. They're chosen by the congregation. They're presented to the apostles. They're approved uh, by the apostles, prayed over, and their hands, hands were laid on these men. And the result is in verse 7. The word of God goes forward. And those tables were being served. So here's the question, and let's, let's give a brief wrap-up. When did the office of deacon begin? Well, the office of deacon, it began at this moment when there's a problem. But diaconal ministry has always been going on. I think that's an important thing to remember for a moment. in a moment. And so once this, this problem takes place, the apostles, they come up with a recommendation. The congregation implements it, problem solved. So how does all of this relate to Good Shepherd OPC? How does this relate to us? In regard to deacons and selection of our deacons, number one, we are to be on the lookout for men who are already doing the work. We're looking for men who are already doing the work. We're not to say, hey, that guy right there, he might be a good deacon. We're to say, hey, that guy's already doing the work. That guy's already doing lowly, inconvenient, and painful service, and maybe not with too much complaining. You know, we, you know, we got, we got things to do, don't we? <laughs> so we're looking for guys who are already doing humble service. Number two, in regard to deacons, you and I as a church, we are to be on the lookout for men of character, good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Now, we said last week, did you hear those layers of how it worked? The elders, how are they chosen from among the congregation? They're chosen and they're brought before the session. The session certifies those men to be elders. How do they do that? Well, they make sure they're trained. They make sure they're examined. And then they make sure they're ready to be brought before the congregation to be certified. They certify them for election. What if we get to the certification point and we talk to somebody and they say, you know, right now, the way my life is, I just don't need to be an elder. Or maybe the session says to the person, you need to mature a little bit. Well, that's not so fun. But before they can be elected, all these things are being done. In the exact process, after that person is placed in front of the congregation for election, that person is election, elected and installed. And the same process is going to take place for a deacon. Did you see that as the, the, the apostles approved their decision, certifying them, and then they laid their hands on them? Also, as we think about what to look for, this good reputations, looking for fullness of the Spirit and wisdom, in regard to deacons, we're to understand the benefit of having these, this office of deacon. You know what the benefit is, don't you? It's the division of labor. That's the benefit. The apostles are up to their ears in duty. They're performing both services. They're taking care of the money. They're distributing the food. They're taking care of all these things. And they're also supposed to be praying and preaching. And it's overwhelming. And so they had to come up with something to solve this problem so that the Word of God, verse 7, here's the benefit. The Word of God, once these men are in place, the Word of God kept spreading. 
And the disciples were increasing in number, and all those ladies who had not been served are now being served. All things are being done decently and in order. In the present, in the past service, uh, sermons, we've said that the duty of the minister, his priority is that of word and sacrament. We have elders who are brought alongside him who do the ruling and the shepherding of the church. And now we add to this, this office of deacon who goes out and serves the people with mercy. Now, we hope to have not just one man who's a deacon, but a board of deacons. And that, that man or that board of deacons will work using the resources of the church. Now, we all know, you know, I used to have a guy in California who would go out and he would pull out his, his money and he'd take care of people on the side and he wouldn't tell anybody. But every now and then, you see, we, we as a church, we have men who are in the church who use the resources of the church to meet needs. Unexpected problems come. Um, mercy that needs to be given out. Food, clothing, shelter, things like this. These things come along. Lori and I, one time I remember, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but I walked into the uh, living room one day and there was water. And um, so I went to work and I came back and we tore the carpet out because we had this flood that came or if you saw our backyard, we had this hill that led into the back door. And so I took the carpet out, and for many months we thought about replacing the carpet. Well, somebody came to see us one time, and they saw that we were living in the house without carpet in this one area. And the next week, a deacon shows up and says, how much money do we need to repair the carpet? This is what we're talking about. Unexpected issues, setbacks, food, the church meeting, meeting these needs. Men who are able to recognize and go and they, 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 they consult and figure out what to do with our church's resources. Now, all of these men, think about Stephen and Philip for a second. These are gifted men. They are able to speak. And we see Stephen's, some people call it a sermon. Some people call it a speech in Acts chapter 7. But you see in Acts chapter 8, you see Philip preaching the evangelist. But these men, their first priority was to take care of physical and financial needs of the people and then to do the, their preaching and teaching. And the same thing, when we see men understand their priorities, all the things are being done and all the people's difficulties are being met and the preaching goes forward. We do need a man who preaches the word who prays like these men, like the apostles, who doesn't try to become all things to all people, who doesn't try to become the chief cook and bottle washer, who doesn't try to make all the decisions for the church and do all the shepherding for the church, lest he wear himself completely out. So God gives elders to come alongside to do the shepherding along with him, and he gives these deacons to come along and do these acts of service and mercy. And the division of the labor means success for the whole church. And no one is overburdened. Well, fourth, in regard to deacons, we learn the painful lesson that being ordained to office does not guarantee salvation. We're told that the apostles gave their recommendation. The church approved it. They chose seven. And then those men were placed in this office we call deacon. 
And we come to Stephen was first. The seventh was Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. He was a Gentile convert to Judaism, and he became a Christian. But this is what history tells us about Nicholas. Hippolytus, church father, Hippolytus writes, Nicholas departed from correct doctrine and was in the habit of inculcating indifference of life. Let me, let me translate. He became a heretic, and he lived an unholy life. That's what Hippolytus is saying. Calvin writes of him, he was a, an author of a filthy and wicked sect. <laughs> so he is a heretic. He goes off the beaten path of doctrine. And then he says this, For as much as he would have women to be common. So here we have a man who's unholy in his living, and he's moving away from proper doctrine. He was a man of good reputation. He was a man who appeared to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And yet... He departs from the faith. Here's a man who fooled the apostles. Here's a man who put their, they put their hands on him and they prayed over him because, you know, though even the apostles weren't God. We're warned by those elected to serve. They're warned by those even here in ecclesiastical office that the office itself doesn't guarantee a soul is saved. Remember Judas. There's 12 with Jesus, and Jesus has a Judas who betrays him. Remember, on the first deacon board, there's a Judas, and his name is Nicholas. Remember the Apostle Paul in all the ranks with the Apostle Paul. All those men, all those women he talks about. There was a guy named Demas. And Demas, he departed for love of the present world. In fact, if you want to go back and read what Pilgrim and what Bunyan says of Demas and Pilgrim's Progress, he says, he sits on the hill lucre, bidding Christian pilgrims to come over here and mine in the, in the silver of the world. Come join me. Depart from your Christian faith and come and let's, let's mine for the silver in the world. Just because a man is called to the ministry doesn't guarantee that that man is saved. We've been studying King Saul. King Saul, God called King Saul, Saul to be the king. How much better can you get than that? He wasn't trained by his father Kish to be a godly man. He wasn't trained by his father Kish to read the law. He wasn't trained by his father Kish to know the prophet Samuel. But God called him. God brought Samuel to Saul. God brought Samuel to Saul to teach him the law, to teach him about sacrifices, to teach him about repenting and believing and walking with God. But it didn't take hear me it didn't take we're going to talk about that tonight it didn't take root in his heart he was called but his soul was never changed i've said this to you before but jonathan edwards in his book charity and its fruits uh, he talks about the donkey that spoke to balaam remember the donkey that spoke to balaam it's a great story you can go back and read it so balaam balaam is rebuked by his donkey but 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 this is what jonathan edwards says he says once the the donkey stopped speaking he didn't leave his soul changed he didn't change the donkey's nature the donkey just went back to being a donkey and that's the same thing we can say about saul saul's called by god He's doing a lot of things in the, as, a, as a minister, if you will, in the place that God called him to be. 
But his soul, his heart wasn't changed by the Word of God. And that's the question. It's not whether we fit the bill. It's not whether we have the requisite character. It's about whether the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed our will. Has our will changed? Have our our taste buds been changed to be preoccupied with Jesus Christ? When a church chooses a man for an office, whether it be minister, elder, or deacon, we do our very best, but we're not God. We examine, we evaluate, we do our best to make sure a person has a credible profession of faith. But this shows us that we all ought to take this opportunity, whether we aspire to be an officer or not. It tells us that we should evaluate our own hearts and ask ourselves, am I a Christian? Am I saved? Has God changed my heart? by the gospel well we've looked at these lessons let's look at who is the pattern for diaconal ministry a little bit two short points who is the pattern what's the answer children (laughs) the answer is Jesus right okay Luke 22 27 Jesus says for who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves and Jesus gives us the right answer who is it well the one who reclines at the table is the greater Right? The one who's being served is the greater. And then Jesus turns the tables and says, But I'm among you as the one who serves. Who's the greater at the table? Jesus is. But he says, I'm the one who's among you as the one who serves. (laughs) He's the chief. He's the rabbi. He's the Lord. John tells us, Into Jesus' hands all authority had been given. But Jesus gets up, and what does he put into his hands? Oh, man, in John chapter 13, he gets up and he you know, girds himself about, he takes out a basin of water, and he starts washing dirty feet. Now, I'm going to say something. I want you all to get it. This is the pattern of diaconal ministry, but there's something else we need to remember. The deacon tries not to figure out whether he's great or not. The deacon tries to figure out how he can serve. And that's, that should be all of us. And as you and I serve, think about Jesus. Jesus served Judas, and Judas betrayed him. And Jesus served Peter, and Peter denied him. And Jesus served all the other disciples, and every one of them the next day scattered from him. And I just would say to you, as we are all thinking about being deacons in general, as we serve each other, are we going to get over things that cause a problem? (laughs) We're going to hurt each other's feelings. Jesus loved them again. And then Jesus loved them again. And you and I, we're always going to be tempted. You know, you have your first girlfriend. She breaks your heart. You go, I'm never going to go out again. Never going to fall in love again. I want to feel that. Well, then you lose getting, finding the right person, don't you? We have to work these things out. This is just the opposite of worldly greatness. Worldly greatness is, I'm reclining at the table and I expect you to do what I want you to do and I want you to serve me now. But church service, church ministry, Christ authority is recognized by people who get down and do inconvenient things, sort of painful things. Yesterday, I had a sheet of paper that fell from the uh, table and uh, 
Thomas got down on his hands and knees and got that piece of paper for me. And I was really glad. <laughs> and he looked at me and says, I'm 30 years younger than you. I got a lot more flexibility. I said, yeah, you do. It was an inconvenient thing. Silly little thing. But it was still something that he did. That's what we're thinking about. Christ's authority is recognized by taking care of the needs of others. Worldly authority is bearing down on others. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you. Well, finally, what is the extent of diaconal ministry? Well, that brings us to Galatians 6.10. Jesus says, the poor you always have with you. There's always going to be need. There's always going to be misery. There's always going to be suffering. So how do we use the resources of our church when they're limited? What is to be our diaconal board's um, point of reference when it comes to taking care of people, people in general? And the apostle tells us in Galatians, he tells us something, and then he gives us the balance. In Galatians 5, 6, it says that faith demonstrates itself in love. Galatians 5.13 says, Through love serve one another. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. But when you come to verse 10, here's the balance. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people or all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So here's the balance. We're to do good to all men, but especially to the household of the faith. And this is the direction for the, a deacon board when it comes into existence to follow this principle. They don't rule all men out. They see the wider community. But when it comes to the resources that we have, we're very careful to make sure that we take care of the household of the faith. The church at Philippi sent money and a man to Paul in Rome. Not their money and a man to all the people in Rome, but to a man in Rome. In Acts chapter 11, verse 29, the church in Antioch took up a collection for the relief of the brothers in Judea. Not for every person in Judea, but for the brothers who are in Judea. This is the extent of diaconal ministry. Well, this is the office of a deacon. Let's think about it for a second. A man already serving. Not a man you hope will serve, but a man who's already serving. A man who has a good reputation. He's full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. A man who patterns his life after Jesus Christ. He was, he's willing to do painful, inconvenient things. Especially to take care of the feet of the household of the faith. And we, as a congregation, are to watch him. And we're to learn from him. And we're to act like him. We're to act like deacons. Ministers are to act like deacons. And ruling elders are to act like deacons. We're to all learn from our deacon, our deacons. And then the duties are going to be distributed. There's going to be success as the word of God goes forward. And as more people are added to the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Your word, we thank you for this study on offices in the church. And Lord, we are reminded again as we think about this office of deacon that isn't this whole 
Christian life, diaconal ministry, as we would seek to emulate our Lord Jesus Christ who served others, who came not to be served but to serve others and to give up his life for the, for the ransom of many. Help us to give up our lives for each other. Help us to be willing to do inconvenient things so that your body is served and so that the word of God is preached, Lord, in word and in deed and that you might be glorified. Uh, Lord, help us to improve these thoughts in our hearts as we leave. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.